As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome in to hear that podcast. Growlin' Paul Ener Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you in the warmth of our home, staring out at a snowy wilderness in Cincinnati. Hey, you know what? I like the snow when I don't have to go out in it. It's the beauty of the work from home life here. I can just kind of kick back and enjoy it once I shovel the walk and get the kids out to school. Are, well, I guess that since your kids went to school, it's, it's not as much as in play, but are, are they – Sled riding age yet? Is that a thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I dangerously pushed them down the backyard. Uh, we have a pretty decent hill in our backyard. We've never tried it out because they haven't really felt like they've been sled riding age yet. I'm like, they're ready. The first one didn't go very fast and kind of like just, and I was like, oh, maybe I need to pull a little bit. And then once we put my one year old on with my three year old, though, that thing took off and I was really not <laughs> prepared as we went cascading into the woods. Uh, <laughs> but I did, I stopped it. I stopped it before got to the fence uh but yeah it was uh oh so the that weight is the difference between yes. going fast and not quite fast enough good to know good tip and we'll have that for next time there's three stages of, of sled riding with your kids it's where your kids are now where it's kind of a challenge because you you need to be with both of them so you can't just go with one and send the other one down then you get to that age where they are they can kind of go by themselves and it's a lot of fun it's not so much work it's more fun and then it gets to that final stage i still remember the last time i went sled riding with my kids i let them both bring a friend and i sat in the car with the heat on while they <laughs> went sled riding i was just basically <laughs> the chauffeur so I, and a lot of it depends on weather too it's not the amount of snow that determines a sled riding trip it's how cold it actually is that's true that's true. I my my best sled riding memory. And we'll get through this, then we'll then we'll get to the show. But it was, this is important. <laughs> is if anybody lives in Cincinnati and ever used to do this, ever went to Beckett Ridge Golf oh, Course yes. Driving Range, it is insane. It is insane. People would park their trucks at the bottom of the hill because no person in their right mind would walk back up this thing because it was so incredibly steep and people on tubes and sleds flying. You are going so – it's the perfect – I mean, it's this massive hill. Anybody that's ever golfed out there, their driving range is basically a straight drop and then it just goes out because they need three, 400 yards um, for people to hit out into. 
and you just you just go you go flying down there and end up at the bottom. But you know, you climbing up the thing takes like a half hour. So people would park, <laughs> everybody'd hop in the back of the truck, they'd go back up around, come back up and, and go again. If you I don't think I don't know if they allow you up in there to do that anymore, but if they do, it's epic. Uh if you ever if you're over there. We got a lot to get to though. First first podcast post Super Bowl. So we'll talk a little bit about people's takeaways through the Bengals lens of the Super Bowl, which was probably most just like, hey. I've seen this game before. <laughs> that was my thought. I'm sitting there watching this the whole time. I'm like, this is like every game I've watched the last two years. Quarterback running for his life, using that as an excuse to how you can't run offense. Doesn't matter what else you got when you're just sprinting the other direction as soon as the uh, the ball is snapped to you. Yes, sound. It was all very familiar. So we'll get to that. Um, we want to get a little bit. Jay's got a Bengals wish list for the off season piece coming out. Uh, so we will kind of go through some of the high points uh, of that the things that he sort of unearthed there um a few things from the hall of fame weekend we won't spend too much time on that of course this past we did the extra bonus episode this past week breaking down the hall of fame and willie anderson's future case um and in that we also talked about some others so i won't i won't dive too much into that but you, you can go back and, and listen to that podcast but uh alan fanica um got in as the next offensive lineman in. So that leaves Tony Baselli and Willie Anderson technically were the only, you know, the top two, I guess, left on your list. If you're looking at it that way, as far as offensive lineman with another one getting in um, Steelers are basically like inducting an entire team. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they have five people getting in the next one because of last year's and the, yeah. and the centennial class. And now adding this, it's, that Steelers bias in the Hall of Fame is really, really wearing on them. Um, we and then we uh we, we've got. I want to get to a mailbag. Uh, we've got. I put out for a mailbag this week, and you guys, of course, because you're so strong, sent me so many questions. I don't think I can get to all of them, so we're gonna kind of power through a few of them uh, here for you. So we've got some of your questions uh, to get into there. Jay's, of course, got stats um, that that we will also dive into. All right. Let's talk a little bit about Super Bowl thoughts. What, what did you, uh, from a Bengals perspective, outside of the obvious, I've seen this show before. Um, what, what, what did you think of watching the Buccaneers win the title and Brady continue goading himself? I, I, it kind of played out the way I thought it would in one regard, where I thought that the 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 Tampa Bay defense was going to affect Mahomes more than the Kansas City defense would affect Brady. But I thought Mahomes could overcome it. I I thought that there he would get hit. He would he would be running around quite a bit. But he just always finds a way to make those plays. And really, he did. He had a couple yeah. ridiculous throws where his receivers, the ball hit him in the face mask, hit him in the hands. They didn't catch it. Would have been a different game. <laughs> Maybe the biggest takeaway and the thing a lot of people were talking about was was the penalties on on Kansas City. And I don't know it. I did maybe the Tyron Matthew one in the end zone was the only one where I was like, eh, that's a little iffy. Everything else seemed legit, but that's when you distill it down into the play itself. When you look overall at how they really kind of let the teams play in, in the NFC championship game, this was a stark difference, but that happens. It's not like you have robots out there officiating these games. Every, every officiating crew is different and it just, I just hated that that was a storyline. I hate blaming the ref guy. It's one of the most insufferable guys there is out there. And there were a lot of them 
There was blame the ref girl too, Patrick Mahomes' mom, with some ridiculous comments uh, and going after Brady's wife in a tweet. And I just I don't know that that really kind of kind of put a damper on the the Super Bowl for me. You, you'd like to see the that there not be as many flags in a game, but it was it was almost like Kansas City was daring the refs to throw the flag. There it was the old Seahawks philosophy where we're going to grab and tug and pull on you as much as possible because they can't throw a flag every play. And the refs basically said, hold my beer. Watch this. We will throw a flag on a bunch <laughs> of plays. And it, it had a huge impact on the first half of that game. Yeah. Shaq Barrett's uh, shoulder's still good. Oh, yeah. Still looks pretty healthy to me. Uh, <laughs> that's, you know, it's always it's it's just one of those things. And I, you know, knowing what he had said this week, I knew that that would be going through my head watching him, knowing that he, the matchup advantage that him and Pierre Paul. And, and you know, here's another Bengals what if. That I didn't even discuss. Vita Vea, yes. by the way, would have been a Bengal. They he was the most mocked to them, mock drafted to them, uh, before they traded back and added Cordy Glenn and Billy Price. If you remember, they were at twelve, moved back to twenty one, and to try to double up their offensive line issue. Remember when they were trying to fix offensive line problems a few years ago, <laughs> Jay? Remember that was an issue. Oh wait, that's still a thing. Uh, well, you know, at that time, it was, well, Vita Vea at 12 looks great, and he was there. Instead, Tampa Bay had traded back with Buffalo, I believe, and and that's how that all. So not only did you get the glory of Cordy Glenn and Billy Price <laughs> and not be able to sign Shaq Barrett, but you could have had Vita Vea and Shaq Barrett on the Bengals, if that makes you feel any better. And it doesn't. And put, it doesn't. putting Vita Vea at – Defensive end, <laughs> letting him run, and he was still mauling those backup backup tackles. It was, it, it, kudos to Todd Bowles. That was an incredible game plan. You, you wonder what took teams so long to to figure that out. Um, part of it was the fact that they knew that, that Mahomes wasn't going to be as effective running the ball, and they could they could put the two safeties back deep. And but it was just. It was it was really really impressive. I never I don't think I'm alone in this. I never saw I predicted a Tampa Bay win by six, but I I never saw yeah. a blowout like that coming. Build your team in the trenches. Yeah, you know, build your team and in, in the trenches. Hurt. Yeah, I mean, and that's just it. Don't stop building. And I think to me that was the biggest takeaway beyond the obvious. Every team at some point in a season finds themselves where the Chiefs were where the Bengals have been at multiple points in time, where you're on guard two and tackle two and, you know, whatever, up center three, whatever it is, you, where you just find yourself banged up and you, your depth is just as important and being concerned with your depth is just as important in developing your depth. In a lot of ways, that goes back to the offensive line coach of developing those guys that are in, that are, you know, that have warts and finding ways to make them fill in and make it work. At a certain point, you're just outmanned. At a certain point, you're right. I mean, it remi- you know, it's like when they the Bengals were on tackle four and trotting John Jerry and considering Alex Redmond at left tackle. It's <laughs> like you're screwed, right? You're that is you you're in the situation the Chiefs are. You're asking guys to do things that they cannot do. Um and that's that happens, but you really you know, you, you you don't ever don't ever feel bad adding offensive line. You think you've already got enough? You don't. Draft more, sign more. Don't be afraid of that. Have the best sixth the offensive lineman and seventh offensive lineman in football if you can. 
There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, that's, I think, uh, to me, was a, a, a bit a lesson that, we, that you already know, but when you watch it play out, you know, it, it makes it abundantly clear. Um, outside of that, man, you got the quarterback. Things change for you. You got the quarterback. You're the Bucks. You're seven and nine. You like a lot of things about your team. You bring in the quarterback, and it changes. This is not this is not rocket science. This is not something you didn't know. But it is why Bengals fans should still are probably still listening to this podcast and have hope, <laughs> because if the quarterback becomes the guy, um, it can all change. Your you know everything can change for you very quickly. I mean, go back and look at the last you know, five to seven years of Super Bowl winners. You have the outlier, you know. Joe Flacco is used as an example, but he put together one of the best playoff runs you'll ever see as far as playing the quarterback position. He played over his mind. He played like somebody he wasn't. And they want they had they needed all of that to get to the Super Bowl. You had Nick Foles coming in for Wentz. That was maybe an outlier, but Wentz was in a MVP season before he got hurt that year. Outside of that, you know who the guy now, Peyton Manning helped. He was on the back end. He's still Peyton Manning, but he was on the back end when they won it. You need a legendary defense and you still need a good quarterback. Mm -hmm. Russell Wilson, Legion of Boom, still, you know, you, this is what this game is, man. And to get there, to be at the pinnacle, to win it anymore, it's just kind of, that's the parody that the NFL has created. It'd be interesting to see. I, I might do this. I might go back and look and see. It's, it's not a direct correlation, but I think it's definitely an advantage. Um, if you remember, th this was the first year ever that they had buys in week 13. It was the latest buy they ever had, and the Buccaneers had it. Buccaneers had lost three of four. They were seven and five going into their bye week. And that feels like a huge advantage if, if you're still in the race to get a buy at week 13. And what do they do? They come out of it and they win eight straight, three straight road playoff games in the Super Bowl. Um, it, it would be interesting to see where the where the Super Bowl teams line up in terms of when they get their bye and what kind of advantage that is. Because I do, I, I remember that. I think I thought the the Buccaneers were a lock to be a playoff team, and then all of a sudden they're sitting at seven five. They had just gotten they didn't get blown out by the Chiefs because they made a nice comeback in that game, but that was the game they talked about it on the Super Bowl where they had some ridiculous yardage. Ty Tyreek Hill had 203 yards in the first quarter alone. They just jumped on him early. And all of a sudden you're thinking, yeah, maybe Brady's done. Maybe maybe the Buccaneers aren't good. And and then they get that late bye. They get refreshed and go on an incredible run. There's a there's an interesting, you know, analysis to look at how you judge the Bengals season and, and why, uh, you know, a lot of the hope and optimism exists for the direction they were headed last year. And, and part of the reason that Zach Taylor's back, we discussed this at length back when that decision was being made. We've heard a lot of stories this week about Tom Brady and about uh, how his adjustment to a new scheme went. And the stories about them being on the plane in New Orleans for the opener and him and Sean Payton are like still trying to talk about what things are called <laughs> and how things are supposed to go and learning so much learning of the offense and that so much of that is being used as why the Bucks got off to the start that they did and why they were sort of seven and five. But then once they got things figured out, figured out what they did right, it could do and, and made it got Brady comfortable and and this by the way from a guy who is a, the legend the greatest of all time who's been in the league forever talking about the struggles of getting all that together 
But then they did, and towards the end of the season, went on their run. Well, we're looking at through this lens of Joe Burrow, a guy who played at LSU for one huge season, for two seasons, and, and one massive one. And you're asking him to come in and be the guy immediately. And the fact that he looked as good as he did so quickly made people almost take it for granted that he should be that good. But instead, what happened as as once they started to figure some things out a little bit, they started moving the ball a lot. The, the offense looked really good. And then Burrow gets hurt. What if the Buccaneers lost Brady before the bye in the game before the bye? How would people judge that move? How would people right. judge the Bucs? What would their season look like? It, it might look a little bit like the Bengals as far as the way you feel about it. Things fall apart down the stretch. They become a butt of jokes. People talk about, oh, it's the coach's fault. They're probably talking about firing Bruce Arians, right? I mean, you know, if things went totally sideways. It, because from a Bengals perspective, inside the Bengals house, they see a lot of the same things that the development was happening. You were starting to see the offense catch fire, and they felt like they were about to make their run that would put them right where they felt like they should be developmentally as in this rebuild. Year two, and we talked about it at the beginning of the year, building to six, seven, eight wins. And then next year, you're really ready to take off. We'll find out next year if you just took out the middle chunk and they'll be ready to take off next year still. But I think think about that when you think about all the things that we're talking about, why Brady and the Bucks struggled early in their season. Because, you know, we're talking about a legend of all time and having the exact same discussions about a guy who's just learning the league, much less a new team. So you don't think Blaine Gabbert could have taken the Buccaneers on an eight-game win streak? I, I don't think I don't think Blaine Gabbert is the next Nick Foles. That's a fact. That's a fact. I think Byron Leftwich, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's it. They need to put Leftwich in there. That'd be their best hope. But I mean, it's just it. That's you lose your quarterback when he's that good, when he's that guy, and you're built around him and everything they do, and you know, it it can fall apart. But that's not what happened. And for a number of different reasons. And so but just something to think about, food for thought, when you hear those stories and make those correlations. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Jay, let's pop into your wish list real quick story. It's going to be up on the site here. If you're not a subscriber, highly recommend you do. I believe we're $3.99 a month right now. Um, you get everything under the sun you could imagine, uh, including Jay's Bengals wish list. Take me through some of the top of your wish list thoughts and, um, and where they sit as we really get a start on the beeline for free agency here. 
yeah, I think I think it's important for for readers and listeners to to know that you it's not just hey, here's the top two guys available at every position where the Bengals need help. That, that's just not realistic. Even though they have a decent amount of money to spend, it, you have to prioritize and, and you have to once you get that first big name guy, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to load up at all the other positions. So w- w- when you read this list, that's why there's it, it's not like there's you're not going to be wowed by some of these options. And what I did is I, I I looked at the ideal fit at each position, and then a backup option. And you know, a lot of it comes down to the there's just like I said the the fact that it's not just what you have to play against yourself with the money you have available, but obviously in free agency, it's not just you. You're not going to a grocery store and picking out what you want. You're fighting with other people for for these players. So you you just can't get whatever you want and and go from there. Um, one thing I think is really interesting this year with the cap lower, and, and we'll have to see how this plays out. But there's it wouldn't surprise me if if some of these guys you mentioned the the run that Joe Flacco went on in that Super Bowl. What did he do that year? He he turned down the contract extension, bet on himself, and won big time. And players do that from time to time. And I, I wonder how much of that we're going to see this this free agency period where guys know the cap is lower, they know teams are strapped, and how many of these guys are going to say, "Hey, I'll." I'll take a, a higher end one year deal this year and bank on myself and then jump right back into free agency in 2022 when the cap is closer back to where it should be and and then really break the bank. Um, that works in the Bengals favor, especially at a position like tackle, which I think we all agree is it's the number one thing that they have to fill. You can't go into the draft needing a tackle. They have to find a starting caliber tackle in free agency. And and there's some guys out there that that's a posi- it's a prime position. You're going to have to pay a lot of money for a guy. And a guy like Trent Williams, you know, probably what 20 million for 3 years, over 3 years, 20 million over 4 years, something like that. He he doesn't really fit the bill of you wouldn't think of of what the the Bengals can do. He's going to be 33 in August. Um the, the whole thing of him forcing his way out of Washington after the Cordy Glenn situation, you have to wonder if the Bengals will be gun-shy about that. But 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 a player like that where, yeah, maybe you can't afford to give him $80 million over four years, but could you – would you be willing to drop $20 million for one year? And then you draft some tackles and, and high in the draft and and hope they're the long-term future. Um, I, I, I think that's a an interesting – angle to take. So, so what I did, and, and really this is another thing that is at play here, I, I put the ideal fit for the Bengals at tackle being Taylor Morton from the Panthers, even though it's a huge long shot because um, Joe Person, who covers the Panthers for us, has his list, his free agency list up, and he he prioritizes the Panthers 21 free agents um, in, in terms of which ones they need to resign, and Taylor Morton was number one. Um, it, so th- even if they don't re-sign him to a deal, they can franchise tag him. Um, he's the ideal fit for the for the Bengals. I just don't know if he's going to be available. And then for the backup option, I went with a guy that you've talked about, Daryl Williams for the Bills. Um, had a really good year last year. This is the, as I wrote in the piece, <laughs> it's the biggest woulda, coulda, shoulda list of laments for the Bengals. Do you think they would have rather had... Daryl Williams at two point two million last year, then Bobby Hart at six point eight million. Um, 
I don't Daryl Williams isn't isn't a guy that's going to break the bank, but he he can be a starting right tackle. And, and the other thing is he's got experience. In 2019, he played the final six. He started the final six games at guard. So if you can get a guy that you can plug in as your starting right tackle, and he's got guard versatility, that's just a really good fit there. Um, and, and I know you liked Williams too, right? Is, is that a possible option? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think yes. I mean, I think he's an option. I think when you, if you, once you get past, you know, are are you gonna are you gonna drop three years, sixty million on Trent Williams? Maybe, I, maybe that is their best. I mean, if you're gonna be aggressive, I mean, let's let's have this, right? Like, are you serious about this? Right? Do you want to build the line? Do you want to be real? You want to show everyone that you're real? You want to make your locker room know that you're real? You want to make Joe Burrow know that you're real? Tell Trent Williams, we'll pay you a dollar more than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. And, and and how would that make Bengals fans feel? Does that hamstring you? Are you overpaying? I don't know. Is there such a thing as overpaying for offensive line help if you're the Bengals? No. No. I, I don't think so. Now you got to convince Trent Williams to come here. I don't know how much he's ring chasing, particularly when he has similar offers. This would be obviously a big move from the Bengals being who they've been. Uh, us as fans can sit here and say, "I don't care what he costs. Get Trent Williams. He's the best left tackle in football. Best tackle in football. Yeah, he's thirty three. But you know, are we gonna are we gonna play the Whitworth game again and worry about age?" Right, talk about similarities. Guy get getting up there who's been a great left tackle. You gonna you gonna you gonna let age keep you away from making that same mistake again? I don't know. And that it is is it a pipe dream? Yeah, I mean I don't know. Pipe dream is it is it realistic? Traditionally, no. Hey, new stripes, right? Yeah, new stripes. If you're new stripes, perhaps Trent Williams is the move for new stripes. I, you know, traditionally, obviously, you would scoff. You would, you, it'd be hard. I would, we'd have to have dead space in this podcast because I'm in laughing so hard in the corner. <laughs> but I don't know. New stripes, offensive line need, and you see the the massive fall off that you would have elsewhere. But goes back to the discussion that we've had. Are you better off having three superstars and two donkeys or five <laughs> average guys? Okay. And, you know, the analytics would say you're better off having five average guys than you are. You're only as strong as your weakest link, not as strong as your strongest one. So that's part of the argument there, too. And the thing you said about ring chasing is another key variable because you know, Trent Williams, 11 years in the league, he's played in two playoff games. He's 33. You got to think he is. That, that, that has to be high on his priority list, going to a team where he can win a ring and Maybe he believes the Bengals are, are that team, but history suggests they're not. And the way they're viewed outside of or in other corners of the league would suggest that's not. They they not just throw a dollar more at him. They could throw a million more, and he could say no. So it, it's just there's a lot of things that line up to make that really, you know, probably not going to happen. But you never say never. Yeah, um, the options. But you're right though, because the then your options fall off, and you're in. You know, you're 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 in a much tougher space after that, and um, it's it's not as easy as you think it would be. And maybe you can, you can find other options. You know, whether you're talking about 
you know, Matt Filer or whatever, um, or, you know, there's a number of guys in that mid-range that have warts. Kelvin Beecham has a history with Frank Pollock. You know, I mean, what do we talk? You, you, it's just, it, it, it thins out fast. So then, right, if you're offensive line, you're looking at the guards, you know, then if you're if you're saying, okay, we're not going to pay there, we got to pay somebody. So you're either overpaying Trent Williams or you're deciding to pay a guard for the first time in your life. Either way, the Bengals mm-hmm. are having to do something that they are uncomfortable doing. It's funny you mentioned Filer. I had him as my backup option at guard because he can he can and has played both. Yes. And then I went with, you know, obviously Joe Tooney's the ideal fit. And Brandon Scherf's available too, but he's kind of in that Trent Williams. He's the, he's the prize piece. And you just you wonder if if he's going to be in the mix and and just the everything about Tooney from never missing a game um whereas Sheriff hasn't played a 16 game season since 2016 um two rings all those playoff experience the 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 local connections being from Dayton he just it just feels like Sheriff might be the better player but it's not it's not a wide gap and Tooney just feels more of the ideal fit there at guard. Totally agree. Totally agree. Tony makes the most sense um, of anybody that's out there. Any free agent. Mm-hmm. He makes the most sense to help this team and, and fit on both sides. Um, and and maybe that's why it ends up being the one that they get done. But, you know, there's a lot of variables out there. What else you got on your wish list? I got wide receiver. Um, obviously not a top end. They've got, they've got Boyd and they've got Higgins. So a, a fit. A guy that can be a number three and number four. I've got defensive tackle. Got an edge rusher. I got a slot corner. Any particular one you want to touch on? No, you go there. All right. I I think edge rusher is interesting. Okay. Um, and maybe this doesn't fit the more conservative mode of the Bengals. Or then again, maybe it fits the Mike Brown, the Redeemer storyline. Um, I put Alden, Alden Smith as the ideal fit. Ooh, um, Redeemer. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's, he missed four seasons. Um, personal conduct policy, uh, sus- substance abuse policy, policy suspended for four years, came back last year. And really he, he only had a, a handful of sacks. I think he had four, but yeah, a lot of pressures. And he, he just looks like a guy that's turned it around. Um, he's, he'll be 32 um, in September, but it's it's kind of like that Pac-Man situation where it's it's a younger 32 because he did have to sit out some time to due to suspension. And it it just feels like he he's got this really high ceiling and it comes with some risk, but it, it doesn't he's not a guy that's gonna break the bank. And, and and for a guy for a team that desperately needs pass rushers, uh, I think that's a spot where you could roll the dice and and maybe take a chance on a guy like that. Um and, and for the backup there, m- Maybe this is pie in the sky. This is, we're gonna have to see how this plays out. But Hassan Reddick from the Cardinals, mm-hmm. they they drafted him 13th overall. Uh, said, okay, we're gonna stick you to traditional linebacker spot instead of the edge rusher like you were in college at Temple, and it never worked out. He was not good at all. He couldn't cover anybody. He's not good at all for his first three years. Last year, they put him back at the edge, and he. He has 12 and a half sacks, 55 pressures, just a total rejuvenation. And now he's they, they declined the fifth year option on him. So now he's going into free agency and he's a guy that's going to cost a lot. He might even he probably cost more than Alton Smith will. But if if that's a position of need for a team and it 
is for the Bengals after being last in sacks last year, last in pressures, what, 26 in quarterback hits. Maybe they lose Carl Lawson. It's just that if you're going to spend big at a position, edge rusher might be the, the, the smartest one, even more so than tackle. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of edge rushers, and there's not a lot of interior defenders, which is a problem, and there's not a lot of – there's no – it's a shame that the Bengals at five this year are picking in a year where there's no elite pass rusher, you know? That would seem to fit them well if it would have happened, but they're just not. I mean, this isn't a year where Quinn and Williams is there or – you know, Miles Garrett or Khalil Mack or whatever, you know, because, you know, you need, that's what you need to give an instant impact pass rusher in the draft. And that's what they most, that's what they need. They really could use with that top pick. And so where do you get it? I mean, you know, it, you, you gotta, you gotta count on your personnel staff to find the next Shaq Barrett without mm. the shoulder <laughs> quotes, shoulder injury, you know, you need, but you need them. You need them to find that gym. You need them to, do what they did right with Jack Barrett and hope it doesn't get screwed up this time, but find something like that and and find a way to get some interior and, and edge. You're right. I mean, it's it's going to be a challenge, but because it's going to be limited resources, you can draft. But, you know, the idea that you're going to draft somebody that's going to have really a, be an instant impact player for you as a pass rusher um, if you're not trading back, and maybe that is what ends up happening. Maybe you end up at, you know, 14 or 12 or 13 whatever and you take quitty pay whatever i don't we, one of the edge rushers mm -hmm. that are in there's like three guys that are going to be in the teens probably okay or you go back and or maybe you find some way to get bar more from alabama but whatever you either way you know it's a challenge uh to figure out how they're going to do that uh, i think they're going to have to be very creative and, and lucky to really find a way to fix a pass rush in one year from the spot that it's in now. Yeah, especially with the the whole question mark with, with Carl Lawson. I mean, I, I think they're going to do everything they can to bring him back, but they're not, we talked about this. They're, it's unlikely they, they lock him up before he tests the market. And if someone throws a lot of money at that guy, I, I don't know. The Bengals aren't typically a, a, a bidding war type of team, no matter how much they like a player. No. Um, even though it's it's pretty important that they keep Carl Lawson uh, for for the future. All right, and one other you have one other wish list. Well, since we touched on it, uh, interior defensive line, um, I've got ideal fit Shelby Harris of the Broncos. Um, he's a guy that he does line up outside from time to time, um, but <laughs> as I write, may, maybe they can right the wrong of. Uh, targeting a Broncos <laughs> pass rusher in free agency, uh, right the Shaq Barrett wrong. But, um, you know, something I didn't really realize, and, but something that when I started looking into Shelby Harris some more, he led all defensive linemen in, in batted down passes this year, and he's led all defensive linemen in batted down passes the last two years. And the guy that's second place on that list, five behind – the 16 that Shelby Harris has is Carlos Dunlap, who Bengal mm -hmm. fans know does that a lot. And, it, and can really, with his length, he can really impact the passing game even when he doesn't get to the quarterback. And, and Harris is a guy that, that can, can bring pressure. Um, 
had six sacks, 28 pressures in 2019, fell off a little last year. But but he's a guy that can can be a three technique and be a disruptor. He's not going to you know, be the high end that Geno Atkins was in his prime, but you really can't afford to find a guy. Nobody can afford to find a guy. Like you have to draft him and, and, and develop him and, and get lucky. Um, so I had him as my ideal, ideal fit. Uh, as a backup, I've got Adam Butler of the Patriots. Um, Patriots are a, a team that has a lot of free agent decisions to make. Um, they are desperate for a quarterback. If they end up breaking the bank and going after one of these free agent quarterbacks, they're going to have to let some of these free agents go. And And Adam Butler is a guy that that can be a disruptor in the middle as well. He's 6'5". Um, he's another guy that can disrupt the the passing game in the middle of the defensive line without actually getting to the quarterback. Uh, so those, those were my two picks there at the interior defensive line. I don't, I don't think we're going to see them spend and they can't really spend as much defensively in free agency as they did a year ago. You know, last year was the year to target defense. I think this year is going to be more about offense, but there are holes, whether it's that defensive line or whether it's a slot corner, they've got to go find one of those guys too. If they're not going to bring Mac McKenzie Alexander, which it doesn't look like there's a great chance of that happening. So it's 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 going to be interesting to see who they pay in terms of personnel and then who they pay in terms of which positions they prioritize. Yeah. Um, it, there's a lot of different ways to do it. There's a million different paths, and that's how free agency works, man. A, path A, B, C, D, E, F, and you never know which one you're going to end up with. Um, and, and you just hope to get as get as much done as you can, and it's, it's – uh, it's a, an interesting puzzle that I don't know that they have enough assets to get all the pieces filled. So you're still going to be counting on development. You're still going to be counting on instant impact draft players and, and lots of other things. All right, let's just take a quick break. I want to get into the mailbag here. Um, got a few different questions and assortment uh from from everybody we run through some of these i'll start here i have a couple of questions about this um and that was something that jay you pointed out on saturday night on twitter um and that was when the in memoriam segment of nfl honors did not include ken riley which is astounding in just a ridiculous, egregious snub, and I, and I, you know, I just feel I feel for Ken's family. You know, like mm-hmm. that's just to to be to have a disrespect like that on top of all the disrespect they've already felt when he was alive, and now at this point, it's just it's it's awful. Um, it's that stuff. That stuff's really hard to deal with. I actually, when I was watching it, I was like, I, I kept waiting for him and he didn't pop up and I didn't want to, I didn't want to be too quick on the, the, the criticism on Twitter. And I waited, waited till the show was over, waited till my wife went to bed and I went back and watched it again to make sure I didn't miss him. Cause it was just so, it was so beyond the, the realm of possibility that they wouldn't include Ken Riley. And I, I was like, maybe I looked away and they 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 put a quick shot of him up and they didn't they didn't at all and then the the fact that you would think that when they're putting that piece together they would call every franchise and be like hey give us a list of of your guys that 
that have passed this past year. And it doesn't appear they did that because the Bengals the next morning put out a, a statement mm-hmm. saying how disappointed they were that Ken Riley was omitted. And it just, I don't know. I, I, I've made mistakes. I've made omissions in stories and you feel awful about them. I'm sure the NFL feels awful about that one, but I, I don't know how it happens. You look at the list of guys and it was a really well done piece. I thought it was really cool. Um, but to to leave out a guy like Ken Riley, it just kind of maybe not nationally, but for for people in Cincinnati, it just kind of ruined the the whole segment. Yeah. Here's the other side of this, and and I, you know, I was with you like my, on Sunday when the Bengals put out their tweet, basically saying that expression of disappointment is a bold move for a team to do that to take a shot at mm-hmm. something like that, um, and and. For obvious reasons, they did. The gut reaction on that is an obvious one, and that is you you can't. (laughs) You feel the hypocrite? (laughs) Yes. You feel the irony here? You just can't be the one to criticize anybody for not honoring your former players, right? I thought about bringing it up on Sunday on Twitter in the afternoon before Super Bowl, but I was like, you know what? No, I don't want to do that because I don't want to take away from the the egregiousness of what happened with it for Ken Riley and his family and turn it into another Hall of Fame ring of honor debate and let that wash out the real what was really the important element of this story. Now that that has happened, though, it's you just can't do that. You can't be the team talking about somebody else not honoring your former players when you don't honor your former players. It, it's it's just that simple. And maybe you understand now for a second how your former players feel. Right. This is how your former players feel. And, you know, I wrote about this when Ken died last June about how that had stirred the tanks a little bit within inside Paul Brown Stadium about the Hall of Fame and the Ring of Honor and and all of that. And, and and maybe that is something that will happen soon for a team that is really focused on rebranding their image and can reconnecting with fans right now. But like the irony is just so thick you're choking on it. When you see the team issue a statement like that, when they're the ones, the biggest thing they do wrong organizationally is not honor their former players enough with things like a ring of honor and a hall of fame. And that is, you know, come on now. That's that's that ends up being more embarrassing than than what happened with the NFL. And you didn't need to point it out. There were no, there were no. dozens upon dozens of replies to my tweet where people saying that exact same thing. Well, maybe if the if they would honor their own players, the NFL would be more apt to honor their players. Um, not necessarily calling out the the hypocrisy of it, just saying, you know, maybe maybe there's a reason that this this happened. If if he was in a Bengals Hall of Fame, even though he's not in the NFL Hall or the Pro Football Hall of Fame, his name might have been more at the front of their mind when they were putting this list together. And there were there there were guys from all walks on that list. There were Hall of Famers and there were guys that I'd never heard of before. It's, it's like the Oscars when they they do, you know, all the big name actors that have passed and you've heard of all them and then they do kind of the other people behind the scenes that nobody's ever heard of but are but warrant 
the appreciation and the memory and, and Ken and or Ken Riley is much closer to that star side of things where he's a he's right on the cusp of the Hall of Fame. It's just it's it's still baffling that they left him out. Yeah. Um that's sort of the rain on that. Um and I that rant is also been written and will be in my mailbag <laughs> uh, later this week. Um, but so let's, let's go to a couple more um, Twitter questions. Uh, this one from Adam Foskey. Does the coaching staff feel enough of the pressure to win next season that they will push the front office in making sure they get the pieces and free agency they need to win? Or is there still internal belief in players, position groups like last year that there isn't as much concern as there should be? I think I think there is an internal pressure um, to understanding that the answers are not inside of this building, um, particularly when it comes to the offensive line. I think that they learned from that mistake. Um, you know, I think there's probably some thought that Frank Pollock can help. I think that's you would. I mean, they wouldn't make the move otherwise that Frank Pollock can be a big part of the answer. But, you know, look, let's let's look to Cleveland, right, and what they did. Yeah, they brought in Bill Callahan. They also added a lineman in free agency and added one in the top of the draft. You know, if you, 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 add, you can do both. And I think the understanding is that they need to do both. I don't get the feeling that this is uh, – they're going to go in and, and bet on themselves again. And go down that path again. That's not a sense that I get. Um, that that's something that's that's going to happen. No, and you're right. They they feel the the pressure, but does that matter? I mean, is the 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 pressure that the coaches feel? Uh, how much? I mean, are they really going to sway Mike Brown in the front office if if they're set on? And they have input, obviously, and they they kind of help the the direction. But it's it's not like you've got a Bill Belichick type of coach where we need to listen to what he says. Yes, they want Zach to be successful and, and be here for a long time, but I don't know. It's, it's You've got to pick your battles. And, you know, I don't know how much Zach and the rest of the staff can go in there and be demanding of we have to do this, we have to do that, we have to do this. Um, the, the main thing is they feel the pressure and they know and the front office knows that, yes, the, the answers on this team – are not on the current roster. Uh, it, it's a matter of how many of the answers are sitting out there elsewhere and how many are you willing to go after and how many can you land? Um, I, I don't – last year they almost had no choice. It was Everybody was surprised by how much money they spent, but they they, they had no choice to do that. This year there's, there's a little more it, – it's there's not as many – glaring needs but there's still quite a few and they've got the money available and i i, I think we're going to see it that it, it may not it's not going to be the haul that they had last year but the the whatever whether it's pressure or suggestion however you want to label it i think the front office will listen to the coaching staff and, and we'll see them move in the right direction specifically where the offensive line is concerned i mean they have bought into the the vision since day one and they've come this far, you know, I mean, and to this point, they have given Zach Taylor and his staff, the majority of the vision they, that they view to turn it over to them, to a new group with a, a new way of 
seeing things and doing things. That was apparent in free agency last year in the way that they drafted and did some, and did other things. So I think that they're, the idea that they would bring that staff back, which was you know an endorsement of uh, enough of their vision, and then all of a sudden go away from what they envisioned it to be, I think would go against each other. If you if if you weren't going to let them continue to play out their process, then you should have just gotten rid of them. Uh, and so I I, I don't think yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I mean, there's still good there's still conversations in there, and how far do you go, and this and that and the other, but. I, I don't think there's something where uh, they're viewing as it's okay and I'm not going to give the coach what he wants. Uh, I, I I think that they've bought enough into the vision they're going to let it play out, and, and that will include uh, another run at free agency this year um, on top of other things. Um, all right, let's go to the next question here. Kind of on the, along the same lines, realistically speaking, what does Taylor need to do to keep his job throughout next season and beyond? Uh, this is from... Will Nelter, uh, and then also what is the likelihood of Geno Atkins restructuring his deal to a lower cap number to stick with the team? Sounds like he's definitely not coming back at the current cap hit. Um, I mean, next year, they need to be in the mix. They need to be contending for the playoffs. You know I mean, do they have to make the playoffs? No. Um, you better be up there in that 500 range. You better be up there in the mix at the end of the year. Joe Burrow better be playing really good. Um. That's what they need. They need to. They need that to happen. You can't. No, he cannot survive another year that's in the same ballpark as the first two. Can't. And I don't think he would. Um, he. They need to be in the mix, and they need to prove that they've taken the a neck another big step, um, or else it's over. And that's okay. I mean, that's what everybody. That's what they sign up for. It's what it is. Um, I think everybody has an understanding of that. I, I'll go a step further. They, they don't only need to be in the mix at the end of the year. They need to be in the mix at midseason. He he can't yeah. survive a slow start. A two and six, three and five may not be as damaging. Two, five, and one, something like that. It's just <laughs> it, you can't get off to a slow start. The the, the pressure, it, it, it's not going to be a body of work type of pressure. It's, it's going to be immediate. And they've got to win in September. Got to win in October, and they they have to start fast. Otherwise, he may not get the chance to be. You, we've seen Bengal teams do that in the past, where they they come on late, and all of a sudden they they find themselves in in playoff contention later in the year. Um, especially if if I don't know if they've decided yet if they're going to go with seven playoff teams again next year, but per, per conference. But yeah, it's it, it's not just being in that 500 range and, and talking about playoffs in December, it's, it's doing it in September and October and starting fast. Yeah. Um, the other side of this question about Geno Atkins, the Bengals don't restructure deals. Hmm. <laughs> they don't, they don't do it. They don't kick money further money down the road. And they certainly aren't going to do it with somebody, uh, you know, who I think they're seeing kind of go on the wrong side uh, of 30 here. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, more than likely, we end up with Geno Atkins not back and the Bengals using that money, uh, the 9.6, to go towards free agency. Um, and yeah, re- they, don't, they don't restructure deals. So you're, you know, you're just not going to see that. Unlike most, you're going to see a whole mm. lot of restructuring around the league this year. There's going to be a lot of teams that are trying to play cap gymnastics to make things fit this year. 
Um, and that's going to be a lot of kick in the can down the road. But And maybe that maybe this year brings a rare circumstance where the Bengals will do that. I don't see that happening. Um, I do see them having a particular structure with any potential extensions for Jesse Bates or Sam Hubbard that do push some money down the road. Um, but the idea that they're going to go with some of their bigger contract hits and ask them to defer cash and things like that is as far from what the Bengals would ever do. They're the anti-Saints. They're the Saints. What the Saints are on that side, the Bengals are on the other side. Just ain't happening. Um, another question here, this one from Kendall Howe. Which of the Bengals' many glaring needs will they feel comfortable waiting until day two and later in the draft to address? I'm trying to properly settle my expectations so I'm not on pins and needles for the next three months. Well, you're going to be on pins and needles the next three months anyway. No matter what's going on, because something's going to be waiting till day two of the draft. What do you think, Jay? Um, I would say corner. Um, that, and that's because I, I, I'm not super confident that, that Will comes back. Um, and if he doesn't, it's, it's not one of those drafts where they would take a corner at five. I, I think that would be the most likely target. And that's what I had them doing in my mock draft. I had them going corner with the, with the second round pick. Um, I, I just feel like that's the more, the more likely one, even though they've have that history where, you know, several years ago, whereas every other year they were taking corners in the first round. I just don't think it's a fit at, at number five. Maybe if they trade back. Um, they, they end up taking a corner with the first round pick wherever they end up going back to. But as things stand right now and with the assumption that, that Will will not be back, I, I think that's the, the most likely target in the second round of the big needs. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to think a little bit of where this draft is set up. You know, I think I, – I wouldn't be surprised if we saw offensive line – not that they're not going to address it in free agency, but if they have to take some half measures in free agency because they don't hit them taking advantage of the depth of this tackle class, um, them taking advantage, you mentioned the depth of the edge rusher class, uh, are where you're in day two, day your second round pick, your third round pick, and that's where you are filling some of those needs because that is part of the strength of this draft in that in those rounds. And so if you if you did weren't able to fully do everything you wanted, maybe you, you know, just for example, what we were talking about earlier, say you did get Tooney and you added Filer, right? Let's just say that as a half measure at tackle. Well, then then you draft, let's say Samuel Cosme from Texas at 40, you know, up in that up in that range, um, up in the 30s. Well, that that would be the example that I'm using here. Or you know, and they, we've talked about a guy like Carlos Basham Jr. from Wake Forest, if he's there in the second round, or one of the edge rushers. I mean, the, all those edge rushers in Dane's top 100, I mean, 13 of them. You know, I mean, there's lots to choose from. I, I could see them doing their reinforcements in the trenches being kind of something that you feel like maybe they waited for a little bit to get to that second and third round. Yeah, and and you said it. it, it it's hard to even answer that question right now until you see – where they stock up in free agency, that's going to dictate more than anything what that second round pick is going to be. Exactly. Uh, all right, let's do one last one here. And, and this is kind of along the same lines from Ryan Powell. Any indications the Bengals will be spending in free agency on defense? I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I, 
probably on their own be more likely to spend on defense on a guy like Carl Lawson or William Jackson the third, probably more than making another big splash like we saw last year, something you mentioned earlier, Jay. Yeah, because we, we talked about the edge rushers and the defensive tackles, the interior of the line, you know, slot corners still in play. I, I could see them. And it's not that wouldn't be it would be like last year, what Mackenzie Alexander, one year four million. It's not it's not like this huge investment, but they it's a it's a position that they do need to um target if they're not going to bring Mackenzie Alexander back. Just Darius Phillips has proved that he can play in this league both inside and out, but he's his size and his durability are big question marks. And it would it would it would be a big help at not a big cost to go out and, and get one of the top slot corners in free agency. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, exactly. You know, I think you look defensively, they feel like they're adding two big free agents already on their defense mm-hmm. with, with Trey Waynes and DJ reader who really didn't play last year. Um, I just I have a hard time seeing them adding any defense that isn't some form of somebody who can get after the quarterback. Like to me, that's just they just need that so bad. And if they are gonna spend, they just don't have any options. <laughs> <laughs> Corner, at least they have Darius Phillips and they can fill in, you know, some there's a lot of bargain guys out there that you can go get, and there'll be cap casualties you can go get. Guys that can get after the pass rusher, like if that's what they're gonna do, you know, that to me, that's where they would they would spend is trying to get some form of pass rush for a team that just hasn't had any. Um, if they're going to spend, I, I I would be pretty surprised if anything they really spent money on in free agency was anything other than somebody that can, that can get after the quarterback. Yeah. And if, if you are, as it sounds like many of the people that are, are sending in these questions are already creating your own wish list um, for free agency uh, Shield Capadia has his top 50 free agents available up on the site right now. Um, that, that's a good baseline to see who the, the, the pending free agents are. And that's, that's the key word is pending. Um, I went back and looked at Shield's list of top 100 from last year. And I, I took his top 50 and 17 of the top 25 ended up going back to their 2019 team and 26 of the top 50, more than half. So just because these guys are slated to go into free agency doesn't mean they're going to be available. That's just that's one more wrinkle, one more variable in, in putting this whole thing together. Yeah, and you know, keep an eye out what what we'll see now is shredding of rosters is going to start going on. I mean, we already you know the reports of Patrick Peterson in Arizona, and there's a ton of these. I mean, every team has three or four different guys that are probably going to shed in the next month. So, I mean, then there's going to be people trades. I mean, we've already heard, obviously, the quarterback market is hot and heavy, and that's there's always dominoes there. So, um, you know, there's a lot to happen between now and the beginning of the league year that can change the dynamic of what you can do, different paths. Open up, forget A, B, C, D, E. It can open up M or P. <laughs> like, there's just, you know, you just, there's so many different ways uh, that you can go about this and new ways that will open up as as things happen. So, uh, all right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. We will be back uh, next week and keep digging in as we head towards free agency. Lots more stories coming up on the site this week, so keep an eye out for all that stuff. 
Um, Trent has got it kicking with Reds over there on the on the uh, Red side of things as the truck sent went out. It's always it's always supposed to be a thing when the truck leaves, right? For spring training, but now I'm like, uh, I don't know. I I I, just, I have a hard time with the enthusiasm just because it's just after everything went down last year. I know it looks like everything's going to play, but it's just it's all a hassle, you know. It's like it's just it's just hard. Hopeful. I I would love to hear some baseball on the radio very soon. I can tell you that much. And the new voice. I'm I'm, I'm excited voice, to hear that yeah. guy. I, I I think that uh, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, uh, it, it took it took a while to get used to some of the announcers in the past, but but I've got I've got high hopes this time that that this could be another long term employment like Marty was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely should be should be great. So Reds right around the corner too for you, all under one umbrella. Very dramatic draw by Everton this past weekend, by the way. If you want to read more about that, again, against at Manchester United, Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the finals, in the, the end of stoppage time with the draw for the draw for the goal, the goal for the draw was, uh, hey, a happy morning or afternoon technically for me. Uh, so you can read all about that and all our other Premier League coverage that we have over there as well. Do you like soccer ties more than you hate football ties? I like that one. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's a much more definitive of a of a feel of what feels like a win and what feels like a loss in terms of the tie mm-hmm. in soccer because there's so many of them. You just get a better feel for if it's a good one or a bad one depending on who you're playing, where you're at in the table, how it ends. Whereas football, every tie just it just feels bad. You know, no no tie really feels good in football, but you can have ties that feel quite good in in soccer and. The Toffees had one on Saturday. So, uh, but all of that, $3.99 a month right now. Just go to any of our stories, go to hear that pod, go to theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growling. Uh, you can subscribe there as well. All right. We'll be back next week. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.